Let's give another hand to the music ministry. These people come in week in and week out. <clears throat> they just knock it out for us. I was about to, I was thinking I'm going to go horse here, singing so hard. And uh, so we also, hopefully you guys kept your pens. If you didn't, please ask for one. I'm going to pass these out, just pass them around. Hopefully we have enough for everybody. Everybody I talked to, I printed out 50 of them. Uh, last week when I was talking to everybody, I knew that the ministry team would be gone to, to uh, Mexico, and that's a lot of people from our church that's going, and then uh, everybody I talked to said, hey, we're going to be gone, and I thought, it's going to be like 10 people here for me to talk to, but that's good. That's right. That's all we need. So I'm still into it. I love this message. I'm used to teaching kids' classes, so it's a little bit interactive, and I'll probably be looking at the slides a little bit, but hopefully that's fun for you guys and you have a good time with it. Uh, Dan was talking to me about what we're going to be talking about, and, and typically what I'm doing with the kids is I'm doing kind of a science worldview thing, and we're showing how every time science shows up that what people are finding, or scientists or the secular world, it just relates back to the Bible. You can see it over and over, and that helps them with their worldview. And I said, well, I'd love to teach this stuff. You guys come see me later if you want to know more about it. I'd love to have another opportunity to teach it. But this week, he was telling me we're talking about loving our neighbor over the summer, and I said, well, I can't pass that up. That's like the most important uh, topic in the Bible, and I just love that topic. So let's dig in on it. I'm going to lean in, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, I think I gave all those away. Did everybody get one? Maybe you could share if you're running short. Do we have any left? Okay. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in. We're talking about love your neighbor. I I turned it into uh, 30 days of combat because I think we're going to see, and hopefully it's going to bless you. I went through this like six times, and every time I went through it, there was something different that I felt like I was just remembering a different story. So I want to pray for a minute, just to continue what Chase was praying earlier about the Holy Spirit speaking to us through this message. And also, I'm going to pray for me because I want those things that God wants at the top, I want that stuff to resurface as we go through this. But I think if you, I think... Hopefully you're going to leave here blessed, but also touch in a way that you're going to go out and, and perform some of this in a way that you haven't before, and you're going to see it impact people's lives. Lord, just thank you for the opportunity to be here and talk about such an important subject this morning. I pray that you bless um, everyone who's hearing it, and I pray that they'll focus on the things in their life that, that apply, and you'll just help open their hearts up. I pray that you'll help me to, uh, to say the things that, uh, pray for your Holy Spirit, just to help me point out the things that are going to be helpful uh, to everybody and focus on those things. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead to the first, and uh, we're going to be looking at this. Um, I got put kind of a guy twist on this, maybe, but <clears throat> so we've got uh, combat training. We're going to just talk about love validation. You know, if you're talking about something the Bible is saying is the most important thing, let's validate it. You know, if you've got, if you're looking at some different religions, they're going to say, you know, for instance, animism. They might say, hey, the world came into being because the bear gave something to the fox. And so you go out and say, okay, do I see that playing out in the world or some of these other religions? And you just don't see it. So we're going to talk about love validation both in society and the Bible. And it's what God talking about. Is it realistic? Do we see it? Is it working? Then we're going to load up. We're going to talk about not only love killers, but the things you want to take on your mission. So things to leave out of your bag and things to put in your bag if you're going to be going on uh, love combat missions. And then we're going to talk, talk about 30 days of combat. We're going to talk about putting it into practice. So I've got two things on that sheet that you see on the back is the who am I in Christ. We're going to be talking about doing that for two weeks. And then we're going to be talking about loving your neighbor. And we're going to, we're going to actually get a strategic plan about how we're going to do that. And it's going to be awesome. So, okay. 
So first, let's do kind of love validation for looking in society. It's kind of funny if you look out. Let's look at Hollywood first and see if they have a great definition of love, right? So Hollywood, it's almost pretty, pretty much laughable if you look at what Hollywood would show you as, hey, this is what love is. Um, there's a recipe for movies. It involves an explosion, uh, a couple uh, kissing as they proclaim their last love as they're about to either die or be in some kind of peril, right? Um, it's funny how often that shows up. And uh, it kind of shows us, hey, that's kind of shallow. That's not very deep. But um, that's what Hollywood gives us. So let's look. Let's say, hey, maybe it's on the Internet, right? Everything's on the Internet. So let's go look at the Internet. Let's look at the uh, Webster or dictionary.com and see what they've got to say. Uh, in some of the definitions, they try to cover the four Greek words that talk about love. You'll know that when the Bible was written in Greek, they split it up into four words about the way to describe it. So we're going to be talking about agape and phileo love, really, on the Christian side. But they try to describe it in all kinds of ways. But their, their really main definition is a tenderness toward a person. A tenderness toward a person. And it kind of stops there. And you say, well, <clears throat> a tenderness toward a person? Um, is there more than that? You know, thankfully, uh, thank God that he provided us more than that. We're going to look at that in the Bible in a minute. But um, I remember working with a family, so I've done some counseling in the in background and got some psychology training. And so we were do, working with a family. And in the family, they were saying, hey, we've got, we, you know, we, we've got love in our family. And we started saying, okay, well, let's look at the list, and, and we'll show you a list in a minute. We're saying, how many of these action items, because the Bible talks about love as an action, how many of these action items are actually active in what you say is love in your family? And the only thing they had, I mean, I don't think they had anything on the list, but the only thing they had was kind of they felt like there was love. It was, like, it was almost like a definition on dictionary.com. I think in society, we lean on what society says too much. And so they said, well, we just kind of feel like there's you know, love there. But there was no, nothing to show it. There was nothing to show for it. I had a, another guy I was <clears throat> working with, and uh, he was saying, well, we grew up in a loving home. And so his uh, sister was heavily addicted to drugs. His brother was in prison, and his life was a mess. And I'm saying, ah, I just don't think so. Let's go back and look at this. What was a loving family? And we started to draw the picture, and it ended up empty. So we need to draw the picture from what God's telling us, really, and get a strong definition of that from him. Um, the one thing that I will say on the society side is that psychology and you're getting this firsthand because I think the psychology community hasn't really put this together yet. But the most interesting thing when you look at the world is that love is a, a fix uh, for a lot of issues. And psychology can't quantify that, right? Love's kind of hard to quantify. Scientifically, it's hard to put a number on it. You can't do scientific tests. But what they're starting to see and know is that a loving environment changes what's happening in a sinful life. And it's almost like a curve that love starts to move it back up toward the middle and make, make people better. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about little stuff, I'm talking about across the board. How interesting is it that God's saying love's the most important thing, and in society over here, when people use it, it's like the best thing over time. Now, it is generational. It does take a long time. You'll see God talk about that. He actually says that, that sin is generational. As a kid, when I would read that, I would go, God, that doesn't seem fair. But why are the kids being punished? And then they started to understand through science that some of this stuff has passed. Some of that sin has passed, right? We start to see that. So, so alcoholism in the 1960s, that, I think that was one of the first things they uncovered as a DNA-passed sin they, that the kids have to live with. So loving environments start to take that and make those changes. So we're not just talking about changes in your heart. We're talking about real physiological changes. Sin environments cause stuff like schizophrenia. They can all be linked. I've done 
some genograms with families where you go through and you look at stuff in the family line. And we talk about generational sin, right? You've heard that before. And how um, you can look at one family that didn't really take God seriously. Like you, they were kind of almost agnostic. They would acknowledge him. And you look at that side of the family and there's all kinds of destruction. Divorces, kids and drugs, all kinds of stuff like that. And the kids that took, and the families that took God seriously, they're over here and they might have one divorce or so, but... I mean, largely it was a lot better. And there's other problems that you don't see in the family when you start studying those genograms that show up like depression and other stuff you really don't even see. So what they know, uh, foster care is another great example. They want to take a kid out of a bad environment. They know putting the kid in a good environment is going to help that kid over time. So there's different ways they're starting to get a handle on it and kind of get an idea of it. But really, loving environments are reparative down to your DNA. It's very interesting. All right, so that's in society, and that psychology is probably the best area to look at that in. Uh, so let's talk about loving the Bible. So is God describing loving the Bible that is, in a way, reality? Do we see it playing out the way he talks about it? So let's, let's go up and look at uh, some of these verses. Okay. All right, so Exodus 34, 6. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You say, oh, that's way in the Old Testament. Yeah, it is. Um, the thing I love about it is if you went to heaven for like 30 seconds and God described himself, he's telling you right here who he is. And what's interesting about this is if, if somebody is trying to establish dominance or a power position on earth, if we're looking at somebody, politician or businessman or whatever, they would, they would describe themselves in power. Here God is, the most powerful entity in the universe, and look how he describes himself here. And the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and kindness. So he doesn't, he doesn't describe himself in power, but he describes himself in love. So right there, Jesus, and he wants us to be in his image, right? So if we're in his image, the most important for thing, thing for us is to be abounding in love and kindness and truth. And then there's verse 7 that adds on a little bit to that, but really verse 6 is he's describing himself in love. Matthew 22, you've got the Pharisees trying to entrap Jesus. And they're asking what the most important thing is. And so he's talking about loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, soul and mind, and then the greatest and foremost commandment, and then the second is love your neighbor as yourself. So he's setting it at the top there again. What's interesting is the Western church, we'll go back and talk about this a little bit today, the Western church has really not grabbed onto that. Um, I've talked to different people, and different because uh, I grew up on the East Coast, so I want to say, hey, is this an East Coast thing? I talked to people who grew up in California, and they're the same way. There was things that were important in church, and uh, one of them was it was a fashion show, so you wanted to show up in your best. Uh, the other thing was you wanted to be at church, because not being at church meant you're going to get a guilt trip later, right? Hey, we missed you. Uh, I had a family member who talked about that. He said he was missing for a month. Serious thing going on with his wife. Nobody called him. When he got back to church, they said, hey, we missed you. He said, well, you didn't miss me enough to call me, right? Where's the community there? So... Men has, men has turned it into religion. The other thing was kind of verbal evangelism. I grew up for years. I was in churches in my 20s until I saw love playing out in an action way. They would talk about, you know, on Sunday, hey, did you talk to somebody about Christ? They're all about, they're all about harvesting, not about planting. And planting, God, you can see it right here. Religion didn't do this. this is, religion takes and turns it into something else. God is saying love is the most important thing, okay? Saying it several times here. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, and they lay their life down for his friends. He's setting the stage for what he's getting ready to do, but 
He's saying that the sacrifice is at the top. It's a top example of love. So again, it's an action, not a feeling. Uh, Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I think one of the dangers uh, in this is that saying love must be sincere is that we have um, a, a culture now where entertainment is immediately available, whatever you want. And we don't always make the same choices, the right choices. And so what we do sometimes is we develop a, a habit of wanting to see bad stuff. So I think entertainment, you know, I think entertainment is we're made in God's image. And if you look at God, you see he likes to make story, right? He could have done things way different if he didn't like to be a God of story and a God of doing things in a certain way that's going to shake people up. And so we like to see entertainment. But when we don't make the right decisions... We have a hard time, let me give you an example of why love has a hard time being sincere in bad, enter, bad entertainment choices, is because when you saturate yourself with like bad lyric music or uh, bad movies, bad TV, whatever, you develop a hunger for those kind of things in your life to be repeated and, and get a little bit of that over time. And if you don't have it in your marriage and your friendships, you can find it on TV. You want that turmoil. Um, you have a hard time, think about people you know, you have a hard time having people deep in bad entertainment and also their love being sincere. If, it, if anything, it's usually the opposite. It's not very sincere. It's deceptive and other things. So for love to be sincere, you have to groom it. And so God's talking about, right, Paul says, think on things that are good. Uh, you want to be thinking on things that are good, but you also want to be grooming it by taking action in love. So that's a muscle over time that you work on. So uh, that's what that means, I think. First uh, John 4.18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, and one who fears is not made perfect in love. We'll talk about this a little more as a love killer, but fear always seems to be in opposition to, uh, to love for some reason. So fear is really important uh, to get rid of. So, all right. so in summary, uh, God's nature is to be loving. Uh, loving God and loving your neighbor are the most important. Love must be fed, good. So it can grow, and the greatest example of love is sacrifice, and love drives out fear. All right? <clears throat> so, you know, when you teach on something like this, you go, hey, what's my qualification for really teaching this? Uh, if you're going to teach on humility, can you stand up front and say, hey, let me tell you how to be humble? I mean, is that really humility? Uh, so when you're teaching about love, you know, so what qualifies me to be here talking about love? And so I think... I would just point back to the Bible and, and say, hey, God has shown me some things over the years, and uh, he's given me a heart to kind of listen to those things, and then um, both through his word I've listened, and, and also through ministries, like Focus on the Family was a big one, and we said, hey, you know what? We have this stuff in our background, but we're going to put this stuff into play and see how it turns out. Now, I'm not, I'm not finished. I haven't graduated. I've still got kids that are, i got two that are teenagers that are on the mission trip, and, uh, but uh, from very early age, we were putting this stuff in. We were trying to make those corrections, course corrections in our own life and seeing what the effect it would be. And I tell you right now, uh, in, in, in some of those tests, I'll tell you stories about working with guys in the military and stuff like that. Um, right now, I'm very happy with the way it's going. I couldn't really ask for better. I'm excited about what's in front of me and, and next. And so uh, I want that for you. You know, I want that for you. So uh, when we're talking about action items, when we're talking about a list earlier, this is the list. And so these things are either in the Bible, either mentioned alongside of love or mentioned as love. So one or the other. But let's go through it real quick. And you see the top one, you know, 318, again, um, let us not love with words or, or speech, but with actions. 
So what men has turned into religion, God was doing with actions from the very beginning. Um, so let's take a look at that. Is that reality? Let's, what about actions? Was Jesus doing that? We get this idea in the Western church that all this uh, verbal evangelism is, is you need to talk somebody into praying your prayer. You need to talk somebody into your corner of agreement. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit is a big boy. You need to pray the Holy Spirit works on their heart. That's what's going to change the cognitive. Let me tell you how Jesus did it. Jesus would go in, and we, we have this, and we're discovering, I think, this in this church, and it's pretty exciting to see. We've had people prayed for and healed here, but God would go in and pray for somebody, and immediately their heart was open. You know why? Because their, their heart had been taken to a place their mind couldn't go. So that's what love does. That's why he's saying love is the most important, because the love is going to take somebody in a direction that their mind may not can go. So they can debate with you all day long about whether they think this is right in the Bible or whether that's true, but love brings them to a point where you can't cognitively just talk them into it. And the Holy Spirit does that. Miracles did that. So that's what I call the quick way, right? When Jesus comes up, just heals your, heals your son who's been crippled from birth. Are you going to listen to what he's got to say? Absolutely. Um, and then love does the same thing over a longer period of time. It's slower, but <clears throat> there's that quick way, and then there's the, the long path. <clears throat> I can tell you from counseling, the best effect that I had with cognitive counseling, just cognitive uh, therapy, was over a two-year period. Two years. That's the slow route. And you've got to work through those, those balls that have wound up over several years and try to untangle them cognitively. God and the Holy Spirit could do it like that. So that's what you pray for. You don't want anybody to be in that, that prison for two years so, or longer. So uh, let's just, I'm going to read through this list. We'll come back to it later. But charity, uh, love is charity. Love is compassionate. Love is covenant. Uh, love is courage. Love encourages. Love is faithful. Love forgives. Love is gracious. Love is honest. Love honors. Love hopes. Love is humility and communication. Love is humility and practice. Let me tell you, I've dealt with some huge um, conflicts over the last 10 years, both in helping other people and my, with my own life. Humility and communication, you can't beat. You can take it into any conflict, uh, marriage or friendship or otherwise, and humility and communication is going to, you may agree to disagree at the end of the day, but what people focus on when you're not bringing humility in is they're focusing on your pride. Have you ever had somebody in church address something with you over here? They've addressed it in pride. And over here, they've addressed it in love. Over here, the pride, it feels very dirty. Like you're struggling with arrogance and bumping heads. Over here in love, you can't look at anything but the problem. Because you can't look at them because they're not being mean or arrogant or anything. Thank you, I've got one. Appreciate it. Um, thank you for your service. That's on the list. Uh, but yeah, so um, we see uh, that working um, uh, in a great way. Humility and practice. Uh, love is kindness. Love is obedience. I think my parents probably wished that I would have learned that at an early age. I did not connect love with obedience. I connected, uh, for me, it was, a, it was a game of detection and getting caught, right? And, um, and I, I, I was almost surprised when I read that love in the Bible in several places um, is connected with obedience. Uh, that's a, that's a, to God, that is a, an example of love, and he uh, admires that when we do that. So, I've changed my views on that. Uh, patience, love is patient. Love is perseverance. Love protects. Love sacrifices. Love serves. Love strengthens and encourages. And it also matures. We're going to talk about that in a second. And love trusts. Okay? 
So we're going to talk about love killers. If you're packing up for the mission, this is things you don't want to take on the mission. So we've got maturity. I uh, should have immaturity, really. Uh, ownership, judgment, and fear. We're going to talk about all four of those and how they play roles to destroy what God's trying to do with you with the most things he's saying is most important in the Bible, okay? Up. All right, so first we're going to talk about maturity or immaturity. Um, I, want, I want to take a chance now to talk about the, the home groups in the church that we're trying to start. Guys, this is really, 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 really important. I can't tell you enough from being on the counseling side of this how important it is and realizing and seeing it. I didn't see it before. When I was younger, in my immaturity, we would bounce around between groups and not say, you know, oh, we don't like this, we don't like that. Let's go here, let's go there. And uh, I never settled in a place. But I think what God's trying to do, when you're picturing these bridges, what God's trying to do is get you from here to here. Let me tell you why. Because maturity is, is imperative for being awesome in ministry and in life. In your relationships, there's all kinds of opportunities for you to get upset about things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I've got another diagram. But <clears throat> if in my relationships, I can never get past this bridge on the left. And actually, I put that up there. It looks like a broken down bridge, but if you look closely, it's got a net underneath it. I think it's one of those obstacle courses. So, but you can't drive a tank across that. And there's things in life that are, you're going to have to drive tanks across. And God wants you in a place over here, and community does that. I know the Baker's home group is meeting. Um, that started up. And we need to get these other ones going because under the surface, n- number one, God's talking about it in Acts. The Acts church is not typically your standard American church. That's not the Acts church. The Acts church is a fellowship of believers. We're going to talk about that. It's in the questions here. Fellowship of believers sharing with each other struggles. So if, if God wanted you to work through issues, how do you do that if all you do is go in one, one hour a week and go back home and that's it? And you listen. It's not even two-way. It is here at Fuel, but it's not even two-way at most churches. How's that the Acts church? How are you going to mature through that? You're not going to work through your ministry. What about if you went through issues during the week? What if you struggled with stuff? Where are you supposed to offload that? Iron sharpens iron, right? They talk about that in the Bible. God wants you in community and the things that, what happens is, we, we, if we keep operating on this left bridge, <clears throat> then the first day that we go to somebody's home for a home group, and we're there, and all of a sudden, the guy says, hey, uh, you know, we got the street in the driveway, if you could park on that instead of the grass, I would appreciate it. If that's enough to destroy that, that was not a very good community. You, you, your maturity is killing that community, if your immaturity is killing that community. Um, we've had some groups, I'll tell two quick stories, we've had some groups of community that over the years, I was in one group and we were kind of discovering this and we were in it about four years and there was an issue that came up and I didn't know which bridge we had in the group. How surprising is that? I, I wasn't sure if, I mean it was a small issue, but for a lot of people it doesn't take much to destroy their will to be in community. One little thing, you know, I'm cutting, I'm gone because it's conflict and I got enough of that at work, blah, blah, blah. So they'll cut out of the community real easy. Well, I finally talked about one or two issues over six months and sure enough, the bridge was there. I was surprised, I was happy, I was blessed, but I wasn't sure about it. And then I was in another group <coughs> and with the guys, I said, after about four years, I said, hey, listen, um, if we're in this group for 10 years, in this group of community, it's supposed to be a community, and we don't get any deeper, 
than this bridge on the left, it's going to be a waste of time. You know, what, uh, sitting around, talking, just eating with friends, that's good. But what about working on our spiritual stuff? If we're spending time together, what about working on me becoming who God wants me to be spiritually? Isn't that the part of the Acts Church? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Being a little bit vulnerable, saying, hey, I want you to pray for this in my life. I'm struggling with it. Or I ran into this this week and it frustrated me. And stuff like that. So if after 10 years you haven't gone anywhere with those relationships, uh, I didn't want to be in that position where I felt like all that time would have been wasted. I want to be a better person and I want to be a better minister for God. So I need to be moving. And that's community is the way God designed to do that. Community is how he designed for us to get over here to this bridge so that we can handle what's coming. Uh, Community oftentimes is like this example. You see this girl is dressed up as fire hydrant and she's talking to it. A lot of times we'll say, hey, you know what, people aren't, um, I'd rather talk to this fire hydrant than people, or I'd rather, I've heard people say, I'd rather work with animals because they don't get upset, or people, you know, so what's going on in there that's, that's in our maturity that's breaking us down? And we're going we're gonna to talk about that with our next slide. So this is something I've drawn that's been really helpful for a lot of people. This is Chains to Freedom, and um, Neil Anderson has another thing that we'll talk about in a minute called... Um, Freedom in Christ Ministries, and uh, he had a book that was really good. It was Victory Over Darkness and stuff. But anyway, uh, this kind of picture popped in my head, and I started drawing it for people. It was really helpful. So what's, what's happening here when we're giving these examples of community and what's going on is that people don't want to communicate humbly. And I heard somebody, we had somebody tell me one time, I wish that person would have never said that immature thing or told me. I think they came up to him and said, hey, I forgive you for not inviting me to ice cream, Okay. And so she said, I wish they would have never told me I would have been better off without the, the idea because now I judge that person every time I see him. Judgment of the person is something God is working with her on. She didn't see it that way. God wanted to work with her on that issue of judgment about petty things. So what happens is in this picture is that Satan wants to take something that's a struggle in your life and he wants to keep adding to it till he gets it down to a point to where he has external control on you that everything that he wants to, any topic that would work for you to get you frustrated or upset, he's going to have somebody jerk that chain. And if he gets it down low enough, and a great example of this is uh, prison ministry. If you've ever done prison ministry, ever worked with those people, you know how easy it is for them to get upset. If you, I'm talking to one guy who did prison ministry, and he said, hey, I have to be careful how long I even talk to one of the people because if I talk to him too much, the other guys will get um, you know, jealous, and then they might beat the guy up or something. I thought, wow, and I knew a guy, I had a best friend whose um, brother was kind of a, a career prison guy. He got out, got upset, busted somebody's windshield, and he's back in. So you see this over and over, and it's a great example, but what Satan's doing there is he's got their chain, and he's going to jerk it. I remember in my immaturity, I, I used to get upset, my chain jerked by little things that I didn't have ownership of. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I would get upset about things. I might have somebody, you know, cut me off 10 minutes before I get to the house. And I walk in the door, and I might still be upset, and my wife would be like, oh, you had a bad day, huh? And I'm like, no, I didn't have a bad day. I had a great day. It's just this turkey over here did this or that. And so uh, Satan had external control on that, and he really likes that because he gets to pull you all over the map where he wants you to make you upset about different things you don't have any control over. On the right is God's plan. That's where he wants us. Fear is attached to these. Fear is attached to frustration and anger because you're afraid you don't control these things. Um, if you've ever, you ever stayed with somebody's kids, and before you have kids, there's always, always this thing, you know, where you're like, oh, that kid got away with that or that. 
you know, and you're thinking, oh, I wish I was a parent of that kid or something. And uh, what's funny is if you take too much ownership in that, if you stay with them for like a week or something like that, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's going to put you in a prison. It's going to put your heart in a prison, and that's not where God wants us to be. So on the right, we're giving God all that stuff. We're not worried about it. And the reason we're not worried about it is because we don't control it. And even if we do, and we've done what we can, so that's what you do with ownership. You do what you can, and what you can do, you give to God. And then you're not being uh, drug all over the place. Um, I'll say another thing with this is that when, uh, so, so we run a business. I could never have run a business um, the way that I do. God told me uh, that he had to get me in the right soil because where I was at, I wasn't growing. Okay, so I was not cussing, not drinking, not smoking. I would help an old lady cross the street in a second. But I was, not, I was still in this immaturity. Satan was still dragging me all over the place. I couldn't be a minister because of the next slide. I'll show you in a second. But um, so God is showing me uh, that he had to get me over here where I trusted him. I didn't have fear about what I didn't control. I just let him have it and let it go because what could I do about it anyway, right? And he's got verses about that, about not worrying. So uh, releasing ownership. Oh, we went way ahead somehow. Okay, yeah, let's go back forward. Yep. I'm getting dizzy. All right, one more. One more. One more. All right. So judgment and ministry. Here's another thing you don't want to pack. I think that the church, because we've turned it into religion in a lot of places, uh, largely teaches to be judgmental. It's if church is a fashion show, you say, oh, why, why were they wearing that kind of thing, you know? So I've known, and, and I can think of one person really that tried to be in both places, but their life was really a struggle. I mean, they were really in prison a lot. And what happens is you can't fully be in ministry if you are in judgment. You can't fully be in ministry if you're in judgment. And if you want to play in between, it's going to be tough. Like you won't be fully be able to minister great but you'll be a little bit of a minister, and then you'll be in judgment and in prison. Uh, Satan will have you where he wants you the other half of the time. Uh, a great example of this, we're going to talk about fear in a minute, but a great example of this is these movies by Darren Wilson uh, were life-changing. I know we've used them in the church, and they've been great, but a lot of scenarios in there, they're dealing with fear and the absence of fear and trying to get fear out of there. And so um, what happens is, you know, on the judgment side, it will take you into a place where you can't minister. So an example was, They had these uh, four gang leaders come to Aurora, Chicago, and these guys were talking about starting some more killing on the streets because there wasn't enough respect out there. And so these guys worked to get them together. They got them in a room. And I think four, maybe all four of them, three out of the four, all four got saved that day. When they came in, the backstory the guy tells is when they came in, they were talking about all about how many people they kill and they're not scared of nobody and talking up a bunch of ego and they talked about some of the holes in the church, and they knew how they got there. There was all this bravado talk, right? That was from Satan. Where that could have put them is in a place of fear. But the guy says, the whole time they were talking, he could not think of anything but how much God loved them. And then all four of them got saved. Not only that, God gave us some prophetic word about in their lives, and they responded to that well. Uh, they knew that God was interested in them, cared for them, and they responded. The next year, you can look this up, I looked it up to validate it, it was in 2012 in Aurora, Chicago. There was the first time in 66 years there were no murders in Aurora, Chicago. 
That's the effect of being in judgment or in ministry. Even if it was fear in ministry, you can't be over here and be judging them for the wrongdoing. I used to do that. God told me I used to work with some military guys. I was in the worst um, shop on a boat. We were in a ship of 5,500 guys. I think I'm pretty sure I walked around the boat and that was the worst shop of people uh, that I saw anywhere. And God put me there and he didn't want me to necessarily minister with words. And I was new kind of to the belief. Um, I didn't know what I could say anyway. And so you don't have to say anything. Holy Spirit's going to be doing a lot through your inaction. Like I didn't join them in their talk and womanizing and all that, drinking. And it was, a, it was saying something. So I wasn't in judgment. And something about, I, one guy saw me after 20 years at his retirement. And the first thing he said to me was, hey, things happen for a purpose. And he started to talk about uh, God in his life. And I, I was putting together over the years different things people said. And it started to become apparent to me that uh, it was because of what I wasn't saying in the judgment I didn't have on them. That they opened their heart to ministry. I wish I would have known more about love then and love as an action. Um, I started, God started to teach me a little bit about that. I was in another group of military guys, and I said, God, these guys don't care for you. I mean, they're cheating on their wives. They're not good dads. They're, you know, they don't care about you. And he says, you know what? And I was telling him, I don't care about them because they don't care about him. And he says, you know what? I care about them. And this is like Nineveh. They're talking about Jonah in the back today. Nineveh's the same way. They didn't care a thing about God, but God cared enough about him to get Jonah there. So he said, I want you to start caring about them because I want them to see that I care. I said, okay. So even though I didn't feel in my heart, I started talking to him about it. And I said, hey, how's your kids? How's your wife? Maybe under my breath at the time, I was a little bit in judgment saying, the one you don't care about, you know? So, but it, because I was caring on service, I grew into that and I learned it, and it, it, I learned how to do it and it made a huge impact on them because when I left, they told me in several ways uh, that it just made a huge impact on them and they were really going to, it was going to be a vacuum when I left just of love and I didn't even realize I was doing it. I was just starting to put some of these things in action. I was just starting to learn. But they didn't have it anywhere else. That's why it stood out. Um, so 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling himself to the world in Christ, not counting his people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of recon- reconciliation. Guys, we have the ministry of reconciliation right? And how's, what's the King James Version? Not imputing their sins against them. They already know what they're doing wrong. Trust me. A lot of them do. Uh, Most of them do. They don't need you to remind them of what they're doing wrong. The Holy Spirit's going to work on them on that. They need you loving them to open their heart. All right. All right. So we're going to talk about fear. I think the interesting thing, we're going to watch a clip at the end of this. Um, you do have the clip. Okay, we're going to watch a clip at the end of this. I think what's interesting is in the absence of a loving, perfect loving relationship, fear is like the first thing that shows up. If you look in Genesis, it's funny because even though we're talking about love and you think that's really a New Testament thing, it's all through the Old Testament. And so fear, what happens is you see God loving, being loving in the response to both Adam and Eve and to Cain in Genesis. In a way, and in Cain's, he's dealing with a murder, Right? So with Adam and Eve, they've taken his most important rule and broken it. And their first response is fear. So when he walks in the garden, he's like, hey, I know where you're at. Come on out. I know you did wrong. He's not jumping on him. He's saying, hey, what's going on? Where are you at? He's doing it in love. And they respond that they're afraid. So interesting that fear shows up from the very beginning. I think um, 
So we, we run a pumpkin patch. There's a lot of opportunity to make an additional income off of doing like a haunted house thing. And we've passed that up for years. The biggest reason, I know there's salvation haunted houses. That's probably might be the exception someday. But for right now, I mean, my conviction is that we don't encourage fear in people's lives because God is so against it. So every time you see people acting out, it's out of fear in some way. And love is an op- on the opposite side of that. So love drives out fear. We're going to see that in this, um, there is no fear in love, but love, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. I think our definition of love has to change, right, from the secular one to the biblical one. Let's take a look at this clip. Think about that. I wish, you know, the God would have told me um, more specifics on this village. Ravi went right into the center of the village and began preaching. While this was going on, a bunch of men showed up from the nearby Hindu temple. We couldn't help but notice the machetes in their hands. We were in the middle of nowhere, preaching a forbidden Jesus to machete-wielding Hindus, and they didn't seem too happy with us. I didn't know whether to keep filming or run. Of all the men, one in particular, that man on the left there, seemed quite interested in what Ravi had to say. He listened intently as Ravi talked about his daddy, the God of the Bible. When Ravi asked if anyone wanted to accept this God as their own, this man revealed his heart immediately. Soon after, Ravi prayed for the man. And it was only after this that we found out who this guy actually was. Every five years, there's a major festival held at the local temple, the same temple that our machete friends had just come from. This man, in this village, by this water pump, was the man in charge of that festival. Over 10,000 people show up at this festival, and it just so happened that it was to take place in two months' time. But of course, now the man in charge had just encountered the father, and, well, that changes a few things. Um, I'm, I'm blessed. Oh, he's saying, like, it's such a... Oh, he's saying, there's a peace in right here. Ravi just brought the light of the Father to this man, and now that light will come upon thousands more. This was a simple taste of mind-boggling events yet to come. These kinds of events are commonplace for Ravi because he understands who his daddy is, that he is a loving, trustworthy father who actually desires friendship with us. That's a far cry from what a lot of others believe about him. I think most people... Wow. Wow, this has got to shift our our definition of love. Um, I don't know if you guys know that 
that this really has happened, that, that story has happened in a place in the world where ki- Christians are killed regularly by machete-wielding Hindu. And uh, those machetes weren't even sharp. I mean, don't bring a dull one to me if you're going to kill me with it. Good grief. Um, this, this, this story, this guy, I mean, if you're standing there and these people come into town, not only from the field, they came from the temple, okay? So they came from the temple with machetes. Who knows, maybe Satan put them on to the fact that they needed to go. I don't know. But when they show up, what would, it, what would the reaction have been? And what was the love? Why was love present there that made that mission successful? Um, Ravi was following what he said for the father to do. He wasn't going in with a lot of arrogance. He was humility and communication. He was asking him to receive after telling them a little bit about God. It just blows my mind. I mean, in my, you know, what would my response have been? Maybe, hey, let's cut this short. This is not looking good. You know, where's the outdoor? <clears throat> What's the backup plan? All these kind of things would come to mind because I just want to get out of there alive, right? And God has called him to something like that, and it ends up the guy is the leader at the temple. Wow. And he's going to be doing it. So there's a lot of stories like this, though, in these, in these movies where you see God working in a big way, and fear, almost in all of them, is fear and pride is out, or the one, there's one story where pride is, a, is an action. They want to go to a, a, a witch conference in Salem, Massachusetts. They show up there thinking they're going to show up, these witches, with God's power, and uh, God didn't honor it. And after a while, he said, hey, you know what? I'm here to love. I'm not here to start a fight. I'm here to love. And when they changed that attitude, then they started seeing God work through them and minister to people, and, and they ended up in that video praying for uh, some kind of warlock kid and his and uh, his three friends and stuff. So it's amazing. You see who God really loves, which is everybody across the board. And uh, he's just like crazy in love with people and he wants to minister to them. Um, another story, you guys may know Randy Clark. He's got a uh, ministry, I think out of Bethel, I'm not sure, but he talks about being in Seattle and God trying to teach him this. And these people come in off the street and they're the ones that receive the, the blessing that day, the gifts that God was given through their, their ministry. And he's like, why are these people off the street? What about all these other good people in the church? And God's like, you don't really understand who I am, I don't think, and who I want to minister to. The next, he said, okay, I get it. And the next day, he was still dumbfounded when I think a prostitute and then another guy came off the street and uh, God was ministering to them. He loves people no matter where they're at and he wants to use you to minister to them. So let's talk about how to do that. And the other thing I want to do here <clears throat> for a second, we've got a question on the paperwork. I want to take 30 seconds. See, because love is not as exactly apparent in the way we think about it in a secular sense. When we look at that video, we don't see how love crumbled those walls, but it really took down some big threats there. Um, let's take a second, and I want to just write, just write on your sheet, if you've got a pen, take 30 seconds or a minute, we want to write down what is a fear in our life, and how might... Let's think about it outside of the box for a minute. How might love impact a different result for that fear? So let's take 30 seconds or a minute to think about that.
All right, so you may not know, you may not get the second part of that yet. We're going to work on some stuff that might help you with that second part of that answer. But if you've identified the fear, then let's go ahead and move along, and we're going to talk about some ways that we can uh, knock those out. Okay? Okay, now we're going to be loading up the, for the mission. We know what we don't want in the mission. Let's talk about what we're going to take on the mission. So 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. This blows me away. This verse is really a combat verse. It's really a, uh, this is something you're going to take into conflict, you're going to take into battle. And in the same context, God is saying, do everything in love. How interesting is that? Because if you, if you would say either, if you would ask yourself at an earlier age, or, or maybe even today, but... If you would say, I mean, the world secularly, they would separate those two out, and they would say, hey, over here is maybe being a sissy, or it's being touchy, or some kind of stuff like that. And then the other one, they don't even look like they fit together, really. But God's saying they do. God's saying he wants to drive out fear with this stuff. Uh, who's going to New Orleans? All right. So I think some of the other, who's, who else is on New Orleans? Okay. And then, okay, and she's in Mexico. So some of the people in Mexico are going, is that right? No, oh, because it's next week, right? It's two. Maria, okay. So we have a crew going to New Orleans. Um, you're going to be able to try this out pretty real soon, right? Streets of New Orleans, uh, not known for the, being the city of love. Um, but even, that, even if they did, I'm, Philadelphia has not got a lot to show for it. But. So uh, do everything in love. You're going to be able to put that on. But that is a battle verse. That is a going into combat and conflict verse. Doing everything in love Standing firm in your faith, being courageous, really absence of fear again, right? Being strong. So we're going to talk about some things here, <clears throat> ways to do that, and we're going to talk about strategy, perspective, and uh, loving yourself the way God made you. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's where the faith comes in. All right. So let's go up one. Yeah. First, we're going to be talking about strategy. Uh, we talked about the old style church. We're talking about the strategies really. Um, you know, coming to church, bringing somebody to church, or um, talking about God to somebody, and that's, the problem is, there's nothing wrong with those things, those are good things, the problem is, that's it, and so the strategy needs to involve the number one thing God's saying is number one, right, and that's love, taking religion out, who is God mostly on when he was, when Jesus was on earth, who is he mostly uh, talking down to as far as trying to correct them? The church, yeah, the religious leaders, so we need to take the religion out of it. You'll see these guys on these uh, films, they're saying, hey, it's not about love, it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship. It's not a religion. And so they keep trying to say that and teach people that, but strategy has to involve love. And we're going to talk about how to, how to get the strategy going. God had me use it on that group in the military, um, and I didn't even know what, I was at the beginning of that, and I didn't really know how to use it. But we're going to talk about how to use that more effectively. But the strategy, you ever heard somebody say, <clears throat> um, you ever heard somebody say, hey, I started to do this, but... Then I came under spiritual warfare, and you know, then they pull back and stuff because they're, I mean, good in one way, right? If you're trying to make an impact for God, you get a little spiritual warfare going on. That means, hey, you're getting some recognition on the dark side, right? That's good. Uh, but people, they're afraid of that. And what happens is, I don't think they parallel these, but victim mentality always has a bad result across the board. If you're the victim of it, it's going to call, even, you go all the way back to elementary school when the bully is there, right? And the bully's bullying you. The victim mentality will make it worse. So God is not telling 
that's where love, we've got, we've got to twist this and see love as a way to combat that. You would, they would say, be a Christian, right? You need to walk away, get away. You're a victim. You're going to get beat up more. And then sometimes people do certain things along that line, and they invite more abuse. Love is an action item that's a, that's a positive impact. And right, they, even Paul even talks about it. says there's no law against love. They can't say you can't do that. So, and they're going to be affected by it. <clears throat> Prayer about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so the strategy has to be proactive. You want to go, your mentality is, when God's talking about that combat verse, your idea needs to be, hey, I want to go find out how I can punch Satan in the nose this week. And what you see when you have that mentality, yeah, woo, when you have that mentality, you see the demonic start to run from you. Versus the other way, when you say, I'm going to stick my toe out the door, and if it's getting stepped on at all, I'm going to draw it back in. That's going to open you up. Satan knows he's got you where he wants you. All he's got to do is turn up a little heat. So we've got to turn that around and be leaning out there a little more. All right. Because no, unless you're the Denver Broncos, a good defense is not an offense. Okay? Obviously it is for them. We'll see that more this year with Sanchez. But All right. Perspective. Yeah. Uh, perspective. I love this. To me, this girl's got it. She's got it going on. Perspective. Um, you ever wake up, you know, or you have this event happen where you might see somebody who's got a handicap and you say, wow, it's an eye-opener for me. It's a good reminder. Uh, or what if, I, what if I give you a $100,000 check at the beginning of your day? The thing is, again, that external, I mean, you couldn't help it, but, you know, share with your friends and you'd be happy. It would affect your attitude the rest of the day. So you've got ex- something external there affecting how you feel, which, you know, I'm sure I'd be the same way. you be calling your friends, hey, guess what? Yeah, I'm buying pizza, yeah, you know. So uh, how is that external stuff, how would that affect you? And the thing is, the perspective is that we, 90, 95% of Christians don't have the true perspective. And we'll go, that's on that list. And what I want to do, we're going to get to that list in a minute, but they don't have the right perspective where they're, they're on the right information day in and day out. <clears throat> so I'm not talking about like, what's his name, Tony, somebody that was an infomercial guy, and he would go around telling everybody, yeah, yeah, you just have to believe it. Well, it depends, you know. I mean, we sell, we sell in the American dream, we sell something that's partially not true there. I don't care how much I believe I'm going to be an astronaut or the leader of Russia, it's never going to happen. I don't care how much I believe it, right? I just know it's not going to happen with me. But... So I'm not talking about something that's not realistic. I'm talking about something that is realistic, God's saying about you that we don't chime in on. And that's where that fear comes from. That guy in the village, that guy in the village, he got it. He wasn't even shaken by those guys walking in with machetes. And there's other stories. So it drove out, and then love was able to play its whole role out. Let's go up one. <clears throat> so what I typically would do with this list, this is uh, Neil Anderson. He's got these. He's got a ministry, Freedom in Christ. And so with this list that we talked about earlier, I would have people read it for two weeks. They say, how you got to do two weeks to get into kind of a, a habit? This will ingrain it. If you just read through this one time every day, we got these on these sheets, just read it through one time every day. And after two weeks, you will start to get it in your head what God really thinks about you. Because the thing is, God is, God is trying to do two things. One, he's trying to get you to where he had designed you to be in life with your talents and all and how much he loves you to get you to that place. And then beyond that, you're going to do things beyond your capability through what the Holy Spirit's doing through your life. So those are two exciting things. But 
It's going to be hard to get there if you believe the opposite of this. So the world's preaching the opposite of these things. So I'm accepted. I'm God's child. I'm Christ's friend. I've been justified. And there's all these verses to back this up, right? This is where this comes from. Verses on the left. I'm united with the Lord. I'm bought with the price. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm a saint. Satan's telling you something different than you're a saint, right? He's telling you, you, you did that sin. You're a loser. You need to stay away from God. Matter of fact, don't even pray for a while. He's probably not even going to listen to it. So he's feeding you lies, and the world's feeding you lies on the other side. So you need to realize who you really are. You're who God made you to be, and beyond that, the Holy Spirit wants to do things that are greater than who you are through you. That's God's view. It's amazing when you see some of these guys um, work through uh, different things and different challenges with God working through them. And one guy says, sometimes you know it's nothing you've even thought or even said before, but God's saying it through you. So, all right, let's go up one. All right, so here's what we're going to do this week. Um, I'm actually going to pray. Usually what we do at Fuel is we, we'll have a chat session, then we'll pray at the end. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn that around a little bit. I'm going to pray first, and we're going to ha- let you have time to do this on your own for a few minutes. And then we're going to get into groups. When you're ready, we're going to get into groups, and we're going to work through the questions that we have separately. But, um, and then at the end, uh, when you get done with the group time, we're not going to put a timer on you when you get done. You may have some people start cleaning up. That's fine. Um, you can either tell them you'll put the table away or you can just move to another spot and continue the conversation. If it's going well, I want you to keep that going. You can also come ask me about any of this you want to talk a little deeper about. So here we have, the. this is what I want you to do. After you do the two weeks, you can do the two weeks as a part of the 30 days or you can do the two weeks uh, first as your training for faith and getting your faith going and then do the 30 days. But I think the easiest thing about this is that the gospel, you know, you've heard the term uh, spread the gospel, and you have to use words. So we're going to take these action items, love is an action, and we're going to put people's names, people's names on the right side of the list that are people you come into regular contact with. They don't have to be everybody you know, but I'm sure we can get this list pretty much filled up with people that you know. What we're going to do on the left is kind of like we would do with kids. We're going to draw a line from one to the other. Now, the good thing is you can use, you can use that love action on the left more than once, There's no rules here, and you can draw that to this person's name, but what we want to do is over 30 days, I want you to take the opportunity to fulfill all those places that you see that you could use love as an action, and then I want to talk about it again in 30 days and see if you saw a change in your relationships and in those people's lives. Maybe you didn't. Maybe something's happened and you don't even know about it. Sometimes it's like that, or sometimes you're drawing that bridge to be better, that you can move bigger things across to see what kind of doors it opens. So on the right, people's names. On the left, we've got all these action items that want to be using on people. You don't have to use all of them. If it's not who you are, some of them may be not, you know, God may have made you stronger in certain areas. But we want to be drawing a yeah, heavy, heavy group of lines to that right side of the list. And we'll talk about it in 30 days. So uh, like three to five minutes, maybe filling, the, filling it out and putting, drawing lines to people's names. And then we're going to be talking about the discussion questions in groups. So the group leaders, you'll just pull up your tables and we'll just... You guys uh, who may be visiting, just jump in on any table. Um, you don't have to have answers. You can just listen or you can participate in the questions and answers either way. All right. <coughs> God, we just thank you for this uh, opportunity to talk about love as an action. Uh, we just want to pray. I want to pray that you open everybody's heart to the message that you would have them get out of this and uh, how you would have them put it into play in their lives over the next week, month, year, what you'd like to do in their lives, Lord. I pray that you bring that to their attention. 
uh, places that uh, they can definitely grow and make this uh, uh, their strongest weapon in delivering uh, the God of love and who you are to them. And let's pray for the opportunities in their life as they come into contact with these people. I pray that you put the right people on their heart. And I pray that those opportunities, in Jesus' name, I just want to pray those opportunities will open up for them to uh, use that love in a way that's going to make a difference. So just thank you uh, for your blessings and just leave and guide us as we go out and become warriors for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead. Go <clears> ahead. <throat>